the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. I am Seth Leapson. Wednesday, January 1st, 2022. I saw a line from Thomas Sowell today that reads, quote, It is hard to imagine a more stupid or more dangerous way of making decisions than by putting those decisions in the hands of people who pay no price for being wrong, close quote. And yet here we are. Joe Biden opposed the first Gulf War, the stunningly successful one. He backed and supported the second one, the stunningly unsuccessful one. He supported the nuclear freeze against Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. He opposed supporting the anti-communist Contras in Nicaragua. He opposed missile defense, and he opposed killing Osama bin Laden. I'd say, yes, it starts there, and as far as accountability, he only succeeded upward to the point of the worst military withdrawal in a war since Saigon. 13 Americans killed, nearly 200 Afghan allies killed, and the leaving behind of a cache of weapons to our enemies that was worth billions of dollars, including thousands of guns and dozens of helicopters. But he wants to convince us he's right to disarm Americans. Last I checked, there was no Second Amendment in Afghanistan. As for our economic situation right now, he told us the inflation was transitory and caused by Russia. Today, today, his Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, apologized for getting the inflation narrative wrong. From the Hill, during an interview with CNN's Wolf Blitzer, the network played a clip of previous comments she made last year in which she said inflation would be a small risk and added that she didn't, quote, anticipate that inflation was going to be a problem, close quote. Today, she said, well, look, I think I was wrong then about the path that inflation would take. As I mentioned, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted energy and food prices and supply bottlenecks that have affected our economy badly that I didn't at the time fully understand. But we recognize that now. Close quote. Might I ask, meanwhile, what happened to the baby formula shortage crisis? You'd think it had been solved, so vanished is it from the news, but if you search about, you find it's actually grown worse as the news about it has dissipated. New data shows that the U.S. baby baby formula shortage is deepening, particularly hitting states in the South and the Southwest hardest. Nationally, 23% of powdered baby formula was out of stock in the week ended May 22nd, compared with 21% during the previous week, according to the latest figures. Too bad baby formula isn't COVID. As it got worse, it got more attention. But, of course, that was during a Republican presidency. How about the education professionals, namely experts in the teachers' unions that pressured the CDC to keep schools closed and even wrote their language against all evidence of social and mental health concerns and learning loss? Leaders of teachers' unions said learning loss was a myth and dismissed the mental health concerns as dismissive of the dangers of COVID. Meanwhile, here we are two and a half years later, and the COVID death toll of those under age 18 is 1,070, or one one one-thousandth of a percent of their age's population. Fewer children than drown every year. 
And I don't recall a single story about children drowning in the past three or four years, if not longer, or any orders to close pools in order to follow the science. What I do see are exactly the same mental and education deficits that were predicted against the teachers' union's statements. 50% loss in learning math, David Leonard reports at the New York Times. This in a pre-COVID America where 20% of fourth graders were already failing math and 30% of eighth graders were failing math and 40% of 12th graders were were failing math. By the way, observe that trend, 20, 30, 40. At every grade tested, the longer you stay in school, the worse you do in mathematics in America. Consider and think on that for a moment. That's just but one element of learning loss, and it reversed decades of improvement, primarily in the urban and minority communities. Just one element. Then there's the mental health. Some of us warned, but all of us who did were censored. Today, the left and the Democrats mock Republicans who raise mental health concerns. Two years ago, they censored us for it. And while our message hasn't changed, it's new to them because they either dismissed it or put the quietus on it as not following the science. Eleanor McCants Katz was the first assistant secretary for mental health, and she served under the Trump administration, Ph.D. in epidemiology, M.D. in psychiatry. She said this in May of 2020, May, quote, the research literature is clear on the effects of quarantine and stay at home practices on mental health. We know that the longer the duration of these orders, the greater the intensity of the mental health problems experienced. We also know that these symptoms persist for years to come even once quarantine is lifted. The data tell us that when the lives of adults, children, and families are drastically changed for extended lengths of time, for many, anxiety, depression, and stress disorders will become manifest and will persist. These are real health conditions with potentially long-lasting consequences that must be taken seriously, close quote. And that statement was literally banned on social media. Today, The American Psychological Association reports, quote, mental illness and the demand for psychological services are at all time highs, especially among children. Seventy one percent of parents report the pandemic had taken a a toll on their child's mental health. And sixty nine percent said the pandemic was the worst thing to happen to their child. A national survey found close to a third of students felt unhappy, unhappy and depressed much more than usual. Meanwhile, mental health crises are also on the rise. Mental health-related emergency department visits increased 24% for children ages 5 to 11 and 31% for those ages 12 to 17 compared with 2019 emergency department visits, according to CDC data. As for other experts, we had a Supreme Court justice just this year in open court argument misstate the number of children in hospitals for COVID-related illnesses by a factor of 20. I'll repeat that, by a factor of 20. And, of course, the need to defund and reimagine the police worked out just great in our major cities, didn't it? But we're told continue to trust the experts, from the economists to the foreign policy establishment to the education and health professionals to the criminologists. Well, there are professionals and experts, and there are professionals and experts. And the ones on the left who continue to get it wrong and wrong again, time after time, pay no accountability. Quick test. Who said a president with 220,000 COVID deaths on his watch is not qualified to be president? Who is the president who presided over 600,000 COVID deaths on his watch, noting that 600,000 is much bigger than 220,000? Trick question, because the answer to both is Joe Biden. 
Anthony Fauci, Michael Osterholm, Rochelle Walensky, Joe Biden, Janet Yellen, Sonia Sotomayor, Randy Weingarten. What do those names tell you about the progressivist experiment? Professor Brad Watson, author of more books on progressivism than anyone I have ever read, defines the movement this way. Quote, the progressive idea, simply put, is that the principled American constitutionalism of fixed natural rights and limited and dispersed powers must be overturned and replaced by organic evolutionary models of the Constitution that facilitate the authority of experts dedicated to the expansion of the public sphere and political control, especially at the national level, close quote. This all comes with five major applications, the fifth being that some individuals stand outside the democratic process, an elite class possessed of intelligence as a method who provide the messianic leadership needed to move the process along smoothly. Governance by credential and expertise, messianism by an elite. Query as to whether that is better than governance by race or gender. I suppose that would depend on if you are Clarence Thomas or Ketanji Brown-Jackson. The first not qualified, the second given a mandate to do so. The first because he didn't take race seriously enough, the second because she does, though she is evidently confused as to what a woman is. What is all this expertise worth, and what has it cost us? It turns out it's worth revealing ignorance and dangerousness because these ignorant have outsized power and the power to impress and propagandize to go with it, to create, spread, and expand fear and paranoia, to cause problems in order to cause solutions. C.S. Lewis isn't taught anymore, just as Aristotle isn't, and Lincoln isn't, and Shakespeare isn't, and Orwell isn't, but just because they are from ages past does not mean we live more enlightened for mothballing them. C.S. Lewis put it this way. My contention is that good men, not bad men, consistently acting upon the contentions of their own self-righteousness would act as cruelly and unjustly as the greatest of tyrants. They might in some respects act even worse. Of all the tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It may be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own goodwill torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. They may be more likely to go to heaven, yet at the same time likelier to make a hell of earth. Their very kindness stings with intolerable insult. To be cured against one's will and cured of states which we may not regard as disease is to be put on a level with those who have not yet reached the age of reason or those who never will, to be classed with infants, imbeciles, and domestic animals, close quote. Well, you give up on natural rights, truth, reason, and common sense, and this is what you get, progressivism. The story of every tyranny will show, be it Stalinist, Hitler, Mao, Castro, Pol Pot, so many others we thought we buried in history's dustbin, they all began and justified themselves upon abnegating natural rights, and they all end treating humans as animals and themselves as gods. This is the price for putting massively important decisions in the hands of people who pay no price for being wrong. I'll take Natural Right and C.S. Lewis over their progressive and preternatural wrong every time, and I will refuse to grant them any credibility. So, too, 
should you. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, there was no great time in the show to do this, but I had to share it with you. I think it's wonderful. Um, there are experts and there are experts, right? I said that in my monologue a few moments ago. If you're not paying attention to the writings of Glenn Lowry, uh, professor at Brown University, uh, you're missing out. You're missing out. He was given a Bradley pl- Prize along with uh, Wilford, Wilford McClay last week. Um, I just want to read you a speech. He's a uh, African-American uh, professor uh, of economics at Brown. He's been around a while. Pundits tell us that we're living in a period of racial reckoning in America. Racial dispute suffuses our public life, from school board elections to presidential campaigns. The estrangement of intellectuals, politicians, journalists, and activists derives in turn from the fact of persisting black disadvantage across so many fronts in our country's economic and social life. The reality here is too familiar to require elaborate recitation, whether talking about health or wealth, education or income, imprisonment or criminal victimization, the relatively disadvantaged status of those Americans who descended from slaves more than 150 years after emancipation is palpable. What are we to make of this? That question has bedeviled me for decades, indeed, ever since I began graduate studies in economics at MIT. I am a black American economist in this era of racial discontent in my country, an Ivy League professor and a descendant of slaves, a beneficiary of civil rights legislation now over two generations in the past, which has made possible for me a life that my ancestors could have only dreamed of. More than all of these things, I am a patriot who loves his country. I am a man of the West, an inheritor of its great traditions. As such, I feel compelled to represent the interests of my people. But that reference is not unambiguous, invoking, as it does, both communal and civic antecedents. Racial disparities are, disparities are real, of course, but at the end of the day, just how important is race as such? Inequality in America is not mainly a racial issue. Many poor and marginalized white people deserve our concern, too. Is race an undeniable difference between people, or is it a social construct? Interracial marriage has grown dramatically, as has the number of people viewing themselves as multiracial, including the first black president and vice president of this country. We talk incessantly about racial identity. But what about culture and values, aspects of our humanity that transcend race? I have become convinced that the alienation that afflicts so many prosperous Americans, especially in the African-American community, is the result of false narratives told by demagogues and ideologues about how white supremacy threatens them or how we have, in effect, reverted to the era of Jim Crow. We can rebut these departures from reality in part just by looking at what has happened over the past 75 years. A black middle class has emerged. There are black billionaires. Black influence on American culture is stunning and has worldwide resonance. In fact, when viewed in global comparative perspective, we black Americans are rich and powerful with, for example, 10 times the per capita income of a typical Nigerian. All of this disproves the premise that the American dream does not apply to us black people. To say that it doesn't apply is to tell a lie to our children about their country. A crippling lie, which, when taken as gospel, robs our people of agency and a sense of control over our fate. It's also a patronizing lie that betrays profound doubt about our ability to face up to the responsibilities and to bear the burdens of our freedom. 
for that is the exist uh, that is the existential challenge we black Americans now faced in the 21st century, not to throw off the shackles of our supposed oppression, but to take up the burdens of our freedom to whom much has been given of him much shall be required for this saga is not over. Freedom is one thing, equality is another. The former is a necessary but not sufficient condition for the latter. As such, it is both futile and dangerous for we African Americans to rely on others to shoulder our communal responsibilities. If we want to walk with dignity, to enjoy true equal standing within this diverse, prosperous, and dynamic society, then we must accept the fact that white America can never give us what we seek in response to our protests and remonstrations. I take no pleasure in doing so, but feel obliged to report this reality. Equality of dignity, equality of standing, of honor, of security in one's position within society, an equal ability to command the respect of others, such things cannot simply be handed over, nor will they be the fruit of insurrection, violent uprising, or rebellion. Equality of this sort is something we must wrest with our bare hands from a cruel and indifferent world by means of our own effort inspired by the example of our freed ancestors. We must make ourselves equal. No one can do that for us. My fear is that until we recognize and accept this unlovely but inexorable fact about the human condition, until we disdain the rhetoric and embrace the realities about race in our country, the disparities that have so troubled our politics and so threatened our domestic tranquility will continue to persist. Yeah, follow that man, Glenn C. Lowry, professor of economics at Brown University and a senior fellow with the Manhattan Institute. He hosts a podcast called The Glenn Show. Glenn, G-L-E-N-N. Lowry, L-O-U-R-Y. All right, we have Brandon Weicker coming up. We missed him on Monday because of the Memorial Day weekend. But uh, he'll be giving us an update on several fronts when we return, which we shall do shortly. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. We didn't have Brandon J. Weikert on Monday as we usually do because we were all off for the uh, Memorial Day weekend. Brandon, I hope you had a good one. But I did want to get your um, get your thoughts uh, without the week uh, going by. Given a few things, but first, Brandon J. Weikert, congratulations. Your new book, your brand spanking new book is up on Amazon, available for pre-order. The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. That must be a great feeling, huh? Oh, it is. What do you think of that, that cover art? I like the cover art. I like it a lot. Yeah. Green, yeah. Yeah, I, white, red. Yeah. Colors of the Iranian flag. Yeah, yeah. And the the words coming out of the shadows. I mean, we went back and forth for a while on that. And it was it was really cool. It's really cool it really artwork. Well. It's an even better yeah. book. I was uh, thank you. I, yeah, I, I can tell the audience. I read the galleys. That's or uh, the, yep, the yep 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 the early version. Yeah, uh, yep. it's a great book and uh, one that you know I think coming as it does out in October. Uh, is a book that every everyone running for office should read, but especially federal office, House and Senate. You know, people who will deal with foreign policy. Uh, boy, I'm going to be pushing it on at, at every meeting and at every candidate event I go to. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, um, uh, you know the uh, 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 the book that that I chose to write a year ago. I was looking for a project and. 
it just sounded to me like Iran was the natural fit. Yep. Primar- primarily because it at the time it would have been two years away, but now we're coming up on it. Uh, primarily because the Iranian crisis was only getting worse yeah. and nobody was doing anything to stop it. And now that we have President Biden in office, um, he's putting the accelerator on the crisis and he's he's pouring gasoline on it. And and uh, his policies are quite, quite frightening if you're concerned about the future of the Middle East as it relates to whether it will draw the Americans in or not. And I, I guess what? Uh, if we give them a nuclear weapon, as Biden wants to do, uh, the Iranians, it will certainly accelerate the crisis. Uh, and, and we chose October 2022 as the release date because it's coming up a few weeks before the very critical midterm election. Yep. We really wanted to be galvanizing people because not enough people, you and I talked about this, not enough people are talking about this, cri- this crisis in particular, but in general, foreign policy. I mean, Ukraine kind of came and went, still going on. But really, Americans, understandably, are really primed for domestic issues. And that, that makes sense. And I'm, I am as well. But foreign policy is a key driver, especially when we talk about a president, uh, because the president has a lot of power in foreign policy. And, and if you get the right kind of Congress in, uh, that could either help to give the president more power or in that foreign policy domain, or they could actually, you know, maybe force Biden to rethink some of these bad choices he's making in foreign policy if we get the right kind of Congress. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, you, you were as usual. What do I usually say about you, Brandon? If you want to know what's going to happen three to six months uh, from now, listen to Brandon <laughs> today. And you were right with Iran um, because it is heating up. Now, you said something controversial i'll let you explain it because it's not it shouldn't be controversial you said because biden wants iran to have a nuclear weapon explain that point so there is a a theory on predominantly the the left wing but it's it's throughout the international relations community it's an international relations theory that actually says well the iranian regime despite its pretensions of being this sort of you know apocalyptic you know religious cult being led by that kind of person. Um, in fact, Iran is a rational actor, just like the Soviets were, just like we are, and therefore, just like China is, and therefore we can do business with them if we give them some stake in the current order. They won't want to tear the whole thing down if they have some leverage and some stake. And they're very keen on getting nuclear weapons because they view that as a shield uh, against uh, which to defend themselves from unwanted American military pressure. And they view that as a way to sort of gain legitimacy in their region, which is very a very rough neighborhood. So we give them sort of that that we allow them to acquire uh, legally nuclear technology, uh, and that will make them a more stable and rational actor. And oh, by the way, it might actually bring somewhat of a stable, new stable relationship in the region, uh, and that won't require the Americans to always be deploying troops. But if you have a nuclear-armed Iran, a nuclear-armed Israel, and Saudi Arabia leading the Sunni Arab states, they'll sort of balance each other out, and that will create peace the way that the, the mutual assured destruction paradigm... Just, just as giving guns peace. to the criminals as well as the police will create right. peace. All right, I have to take right. a quick break. This was a quick segment. Let's pick up on that when we come back. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. You can pre-order his new book or his book that's coming out this October, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. 
As we go to break, let me put in a word for our friends at Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com is their website. Their fruits and veggies I take every day. I took them today, of course. And you take them once a day, and you are good to go with boosting your immunity, your health, your energy with 100% natural fruit and vegetables, all produce. Balanceofnature.com. Discount code BALANCE. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity, really unique, really great, check out my friends at Y-Refi. Um, they are offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a collateralized, secure portfolio. Y-Refi is in the business of helping people dig out a debt and doing it the right way by paying off their debts, doing so with dignity, getting a lot of benefits along the way, including FICO score recovery. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really good people who are doing really well helping others, and you can be as well. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 855-316-3087. Tell them Seth sent you. Investyrefi.com. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. He is the author of the upcoming book, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. We're talking about Iran uh, and the deal that has been proposed by the Biden administration, a deal that seems to be foundering a bit. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, Brandon, we were just talking about this, what I think is a mad notion, that if we give all the same weapons to all the major players in the Middle East— that will create its own mutually assured destruction. That's not what I meant by mad. I meant insane. Uh, but that is the thinking over there. I said it's the equivalent of, you know, uparming criminals so that there's an equality with the yep. police, I suppose. That, that's, it's that's an inability, exactly what, in other words, to distinguish the evil from the decent. Yes, and, and that is exactly right. And this was the, the, the basis of the Obama nuclear agreement that now Biden is trying to restart, that Trump had rightly kind of ended uh, during Trump's presidency, and uh, unfortunately, um, you know, if if this goes forward, if the Biden administration does in fact revive the Obama-era JCPOA deal, um, it will not deter or prevent a nuclear arms race that could lead to a nuclear world war in the region. It will most assuredly spur one on, mm-hmm. because once the Persian Shiites, a minority ethnicity with a minority uh, religious uh, makeup in a majority Sunni Arab land, once a region, once the Shiite Persians get their hands on nuclear weapons that are reliable nukes and start disseminating them to their proxies like Hezbollah, uh, in the region, or Hamas, which, by the way, is a partner now of Iran and Hezbollah, despite the religious differences there. Um, uh, if they are able to do that, you can rest assured, I mean that sarcastically, that the Saudis will then demand that they get their own nuclear weapon because they can't trust the Shiite Persians, their blood enemies, with the bomb if they don't have the bomb. And then you can rest assured that Israel will start mass-producing their own nuclear weapons arsenal, and they may actually try to launch strikes against Iran prematurely in a sort of use-it-or-lose-it mentality, which will most assuredly be more destabilizing and most assuredly drag the Americans into a shooting war in the region in a way 
that the Biden administration claims it's trying desperately to avoid. The best path forward, as I outlined in the book, as you know, is to follow the pattern that the Trump administration began with the Abraham Accords. Recognize your allies, Sunni Arab states, as imperfect as they are. Uh, recognize them as allies. Recognize Israel as an ally. Stop trying to go after those two groups because of supposed human rights violations. Forget about that. It's the Middle East, man. That's all the Middle East is. It's one big, <laughs> it's human, one rights big human rights violation. Right. right. So, okay. like, just forget about it and work with the people that you've been working with for 60 years. Mm. You know, and, and those those patterns are already there. The, the, the sort of neuronal pathways are already created. It's easier for us to do business with those two groups and to empower those two groups who share with each other and us an aversion to an Iranian-dominated Middle East, uh, an Iranian-dominated Middle East that is inherently averse to the United States, or not just who we are, but our very existence, that is inherently averse to the Sunni Arabs, that is inherently averse to the Israelis, the Jews of Israel. So we have a natural alliance here. Why are we not following the Trump example and rebuilding the, the Abraham Accords and sort of building a, a quasi-Middle East NATO to contain Iran, not to go to war with Iran, but to tell Iran, we will not let you move beyond a certain point, that you will be contained as we contain the Soviet Union, and we will strangle you, and you will slowly wither and die as the Soviets did. There's nothing wrong with that strategy. But for some reason, the Biden team doesn't want to do that. I mean, it is interesting that, I, I mean, maybe you would have come up with another one, but as far <laughs> as I know, there's only one country in the world that routinely, as a mantra, threatens the threatens the destruction of another country of a fellow country of the united nations there's only one it's not israel it's not saudi arabia and it's not america and of of all the countries you've mentioned only one opens their parliament that way and has a regular mantra of it threatening the destruction of the united states and israel not even north korea right not even north korea does this right i mean they do it sometimes um, but usually that's, a, it's usually very, you know, it's very timed and it's sort of, it happens and then it goes away. The Iranians every day, and I talk about this in the book, every day since 1979, even before the regime actually took power, the Iranians were claiming, were screaming and having their followers and the, the, the adherents in Tehran and elsewhere in Iran scream death to America and death to Israel. Scream they would call us big state in America and yep. Israel little state yep. for 50 years, every day, yep. three times a day. Yep. You know, this is, this is, this is now, it's a joke almost. It's not though, but it should be a joke. But Biden thinks he can trust these people with nukes. As it's the news is breaking hard. today, as the news is breaking today, that the director of the FBI is revealing that Iran has attempted a cyber attack on Boston Children's Hospital, not Tehran That's Children's right. Hospital, Boston Children's Talk about That's human right. rights abuses. They don't contain it to their own country. Brandon, yeah. um, it was a delight to see your book pop up on Thanks Amazon. It's a delight to see that it's available for pre-order. It's a delight to have you in our ambit and orbit and to get you on even if quickly this week. Let me mention the book again, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, Brandon J. Weikert. Buddy. We'll talk next week, but thank you for everything, and thank you for joining us today. Brandon's always smart, and that's great that that book is coming out uh, in October. Uh, He's also right that those running for office, for federal office, Congress and Senate, 
they can do things to rein in foreign policy. I remember the Gingrich Congress did a lot with the Bill Clinton uh, presidency on foreign policy. Uh, and perhaps, too, we can, ideally, with when we get a Republican majority, which I hope we get. Man, I am not betting on it, but I hope we get it, and I'm going to work as hard as I can, and I know you are as well, to get this thing done, to rein in this presidency. Um, I, um, I think it's going to be not only just the powers of the purse and the powers of Congress to exercise their influence. You know what they can do? They can hold hearings. They can hold public hearings to expose the idiocy of the so-called, quote, unquote, experts that I spoke about in my monologue at the top of this hour. It's no different when it comes to foreign policy. Look at the foreign policy messes we are in. They are not small. Russia, not a small problem. Iran, not a small problem. North Korea, still a simmering problem. And we haven't even spoken to China. All of that was tamed for about four years. All of it has been unleashed in the last two. You bet we've got to hold hearings and expose this. You bet we've got to rein it in. And you bet we can't ignore it. The world is a dangerous place, Daniel Moynihan said. It wasn't perhaps requiring of a degree in nuclear engineering or brain surgery to say it, but it's the truest thing you can say about foreign policy. And the second truest thing is the rest of the world does not act like America, and it doesn't act like her allies. And those that don't act with an animus towards America and her allies, that could not only be our undoing, could be our death. Could be. It's what they say they want for us. I don't know why we don't believe them. Anyway, thank you for spending some of your day with us. Truly mean that. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.